Have you seen the Barbie movie? I did see the Barbie movie. Remember that scene where they're all dancing and they're having a grand time? And then Margot Robbie says, do you guys ever think about dying? And the whole scene, right? The music screeches to a halt and all the Barbies look at her dumbfounded. When I think about that scene, I was thinking about Jean and LBBC and what it means that when you have to think about dying and how much more of a life that allows us to live. Welcome, listeners, to Overexpressed and Out, a new podcast by me, Jenny Burkholder. And me, Roseanne Liberti. Overexpressed and Out takes you on an outing that outs amazing women and their outward expression of healing. Let's introduce our guest, Jean Sachs. We both met Jean Sachs, CEO of Living Beyond Breast Cancer, LBBC, when we were teachers. I remember one back-to-school night after I had just finished chemo for my early-stage breast cancer when another woman, who had also just finished treatment, took it upon herself to introduce me to Jean and Living Beyond Breast Cancer. With that introduction, I became part of an amazing community. I first met Jean in 2008, then again in 2017. In 2021, when I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, Jean was the first person who called to discuss oncologists and treatment options. Without missing a beat, Jean was ready to support me. Since 1996, Jean Sachs has been the CEO of Living Beyond Breast Cancer. Her fierce commitment, compassionate heart, and strong desire to connect people have made LBBC a nationally recognized nonprofit in providing trusted information and a community of support for those affected by breast cancer. Jean has successfully grown LBBC's budget from 100000 to $6 million. And for 17 years, LBBC has earned a four-star rating by Charity Navigator. In 2018, they earned the Platinum Seal of Transparency from GuideStar. These honors reflect Jean's leadership, her ability to identify what communities need to be served, her willingness to collaborate, and her faithfulness to the organization's mission. Truly, Jean Sachs and LBBC have created a world where no one impacted by breast cancer feels uninformed or alone. And we are honored to have her on Overexpressed and Out. Thank you, Jean, for taking the time to be here and for sharing your story. To begin, we'd like for you to share with our listeners something that brings you joy and why. Well, thank you for that introduction. It's, it was lovely. I'm almost tearing up. Today, what brings me joy is when my dog is peacefully sleeping and just watching that complete peace and relaxation. Jean, we've heard your bio, and many of our listeners know about Living Beyond Breast Cancer and your accomplishments as the CEO and also the organization's accomplishments. We'd like to hear how you would describe the work that you do at LBBC and for the breast cancer community. And how did you find your way to this work? So every day is different. I have to say I've been in this role for a long time. I'm often asked, you know, why do you stay so long? And what keeps you motivated? So I think for me, every day is different. So a lot of what I do 
is running a business. So, you know, people sometimes forget that a nonprofit is actually a business when you're running six, $6 million through your books every year. So all kinds of things, management, staffing, administrative stuff is certainly takes up some of my time. But what really keeps me motivated is seeing the impact we have when someone is newly diagnosed with early stage or metastatic or has a change in their treatment and that we are really able to step in and provide information that they can't find easily in other places. I mean, information is kind of everywhere, but then it's also not accessible. So that ability to turn a really difficult situation, an unexpected situation, and really help someone find their next step because I think it's really one step at a time. So you can't solve the problem, but you can just keep people moving forward. And how did you find your way into your role at LBBC? Sometimes I'm like, how did I? You know, who wakes up? Who's who's a child who says, I want to work on cancer? I think for me, it really is grounded in what I consider helping women become empowered advocates. And when I was in 10th grade, one of my best friends found herself pregnant. We were 16 and obviously not ready to take that on. And this was in the late 70s. So abortion had really just become legalized in America. And we decided we could solve this problem on our own. And so we looked up in the phone book and we saw a listing for an abortion and pregnancy testing clinic. And for those that live in the greater Philadelphia area, it was on Roosevelt Boulevard. And I said, look, I know how to drive. I've never driven on the highway, but let's go. We have our licenses. So we made an appointment and we went. And my friend was so determined to end this pregnancy. She was not in a position to even tell her parents, you know, not ready to become a parent. And we walked in and from the first moment, I knew something was wrong. It turned out that it was actually a front for an anti-abortion organization. And they took our friend, I, I was with another friend, into the exam room and they showed her a fetus in a jar. They told her it was too early to tell if she was pregnant, that she needed to come back in like six weeks, which would have been too late. And we realized that sitting in the waiting room and we were like, we got to get out of here. But by the time she came out, she was completely brainwashed. It's a long story all to say that we left completely freaked out and realized we needed not only to get our friend to understand that she had been mis misled, but that we need to, you know, to solve that. So anyway, she did end up getting to Planned Parenthood, telling her mother and having an abortion. But I was so upset about the experience that I reached out to the Women's Law Project. And it turned out they actually had a lawsuit going against this organization. And it was actually a lawsuit against the phone company when we used to have phone books because the listing was deceptive. So I joined the lawsuit. Our testimony was helpful. And it took a long time, but eventually they were able to shut this down. So all to say that that experience kind of was my college essay and really made me determined to say, when you're facing any crisis, you've got to have good information, you've got to have good support, and you've got to make sure you're connecting with with reputable people. And so I think that's how I found my way to living beyond breast cancer. I mean, the route wasn't as direct, but I, I think that experience just impacted the track 
of my life. Jean, I wonder for you, is it from that experience? Is it from something else? Did you have mentors in your life? What's the backstory of your deep desire for truthful, accurate information and making sure that everyone gets to that? Yeah, I think for me, it's I never want that to happen to another woman. You know, I every time I and, and that, you know, my example when I was 16 is one thing, but I see it over and over again, you know, where where women get bad information and they start down the wrong road. And I so I always want to make sure that doesn't happen again. So I don't want to just help the person. I want to help the system. So where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I credit everything in my life from my father, who's still alive at almost 94. He is a psychoanalyst. He just always believed in me and always gave me just really insightful advice. And I think it's also because my brother is only 15 months older than me, and he excelled in absolutely everything he did. So I think I was just looking for my path. And my mom, of course, was also a big influence. She did die of lung cancer, but also had breast cancer and uterine cancer. But she was a true advocate, was a Democratic committee woman, political to the core, just really believed you could make change through advocacy. So I guess it's the combination of my mom's advocacy and relentlessness, because she was relentless, and I think I'm relentless, and my dad's psychiatric keeping us all emotionally healthy. <laughs> In 2021, I completed my Hear My Voice advocacy training at Living Beyond Breast Cancer, which allowed, in many ways, overexpressed and out this podcast to be born and helped my own healing. So we're interested in your definition of an advocate. And then given its importance to you, why transforming cancer patients in this case into advocates is so important for them and their healing? Mm -hmm. If you think about how the breast cancer advocacy movement got started, and I'm not saying there wasn't advocacy before the early 1990s, because there was, there were many, many things that people were doing. But if you think of the more vocal advocacy that happened, they really took a page from the AIDS advocates. I mean, that was their playbook. You know, chain yourself to fences, march on Washington, take on the pharmaceutical companies. And they had a lot of success. So I think that's really where that movement was turning patients into advocates sort of came from, that you can make big systemic change. But for me, I really believe advocacy comes in all different ways. I mean, your advocacy might be answering the phone when someone calls because they need help, or it might be talking to your doctor about you didn't really like the way he or she presented information or what was missing, or it could be going to your state legislature or federal, but that everybody has a way to make the road better for the next person. And I think that is healing for the individual. I mean, I do think volunteer service is not just for the person you're helping, it's also for yourself to say, I've learned things. I mean, look, patients are experts. I mean, they basically end up having like a PhD in breast cancer by the time they're, and they have a lot of expertise to give. So I think that 
it's both for the individual and for the community as a whole. But I think giving back is, is really important. And so maybe part of it is helping women make meaning of the experience. I think the other part for me in terms of being an advocate is, you know, my mom was a lot of things. But one thing she really was, was she was not shy. <laughs> and she was very opinionated. But when she got breast cancer, all the filters went away. So again, this was in the 1980s. And she'd run into an old friend and they'd be like, her name was Romaine. They'd be like, hi, Romaine, how are you? And my mom would be like, well, I'm not that great. I have cancer. And this was a time when people really didn't <laughs> do that. And they would kind of like shrink and back away and oh, okay. And and she told everybody. And I was always so embarrassed. I was in my late 20s when she was diagnosed. But what slowly started happening was her phone started ringing from people from all over the country who were like, Romaine, I heard you had breast cancer. I was just diagnosed. And suddenly she was talking to so many people who had no one to talk to because this is before there was all this support. And I didn't realize that until later, but my mom was like, I'm going to talk about this. And it made such a difference, not just for the people she helped, but for herself. And that was a time where breast cancer treatment was really brutal. You know, everybody kind of got the same thing. It wasn't personalized. And, you know, the side effects were, were intense. So anyway, I, I admire her so much for that. And I reflect back on it. I was so embarrassed. But now I understand. Jean, you are an exceptional connector. You recognize people's talents or see their challenges, and you connect them with others that can listen to their ideas and help them with what they need. Where and how do you think you developed that gift? I mean, that's something that really gives me joy. I don't know. You know, my mom in college was in one of the first classes at the University of Pennsylvania in the 50s. And she came from a small town in Scranton. She grew up, she was, we were Jewish. And so along with her when she went to Penn were like 15 Jewish guys. <laughs> so she became a matchmaker. Um, that like she... That was what she did. And, you know, my mom actually didn't get married till she was 29. And she fixed a lot of people up. So maybe it's in my DNA. I think there's just something about the way my brain works that I just see it. And I'm like, oh, you need to know this person or you need to connect with that person. But so I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I but I kind of can't help myself. <laughs> I've described it to Jenny as Jean's brain is like this enormous Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and she knows everyone's name and their talent. And when you meet someone, you're like, doo, 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 and then you know exactly who they're, you're going to connect them with. And it is. It's this incredible gift of you're a matchmaker. You are. It's very satisfying if I'm able to make a connection that wouldn't have happened without my intervention. And it ends up being really meaningful. So I think we all need people. And I really do believe that whatever you're facing if you have good information and good support, you just do better. And for some people, that's hard to find. What I appreciate about the gift, Jean, is it's not only if you have a challenge. If somebody comes to you with a diagnosis and a challenge, you're able to connect. But if somebody comes to you with an idea for a new podcast, <laughs> for example, you also have an idea 
or somebody to connect with. So it's not just the finding the trusted information for that moment of crisis, but it's also that moment of success or generative moment. Um, And that's also very helpful. Jean, you work in a world where women and men, despite everyone's best efforts, including yours, die of cancer, some at young ages. How does this truth affect you, and how do you manage these feelings? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer, and I I do get asked it a lot. I mean, sadly, it's just part of, it's what you have to accept when you do this kind of work. So I don't want to say it it's routine because it's never routine, but I just know that it's going to happen. So I have different ways of managing it. I just recommit myself to continuing to help and continuing to try to find a way to get better treatments, better clinical trials, cures. I mean, it's it's really just, I think I cope by recommitting. I think if I walked away or I got devastated, I couldn't continue to do the work. And so I just continue this legacy of people who are always right behind me or right next to me as I continue to do what I'm doing. Because I know that's what they would want to happen and they aren't here to continue it. And your own feelings is that where Freya and perhaps Pickleball come in? (laughs) Well, dogs are healing. Hiking is healing for me. But yeah, I've, I've definitely become a fan of pickleball or just anything that takes you out of the day-to-day so you can't think about work. I think I just find things that I always like to say, like rewire my brain. Um, Knitting also. Knitting for me is very healing because when you knit, you have to be willing to rip out because no matter what, well, at least for me, I'm always making a mistake. Um, So you have to be willing to just keep doing it over and over and over again. And sometimes getting really far in a project and realizing, nope, got to start over. So that is kind of a practice that I relate to in life. It seems as if becoming more and more attuned to the reality of death, being able to manage both realities of death and the vibrancy of life, especially in those women that are simultaneously walking next to you, and then all of the people that you see in front of you who are thriving or continuing to thrive or accessing LBBC as a way to thrive. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it, it helps to be prepared. I mean, it's really hard for me when I'm not expecting someone to not make it. And that happens sometimes because, you know, how cancer is so tricky. And it it definitely is better for me when I have a little bit of time to prepare and process and have some conversations, whether it's with myself or with that person. And I think for the organization and for myself, like we just have to keep doing this work because there's always someone newly diagnosed. And I think that's when we talk about kind of this litany of people in my life, it's like, as soon as one situation kind of has an ending, there's someone else, and then there's someone else. And they're at the beginning. 
I've had so many of those first conversations and I often reflect the questions are always the same, but yet they're so personal, you know, and so you have to have the dialogue over and over again. But yeah, it's you got to meet the person exactly where they are. So on that note, we've asked you to bring a truth or a guiding principle that you live by to inspire us. So can you share that with our listeners? I think what resonates most for me is make the best decision you can with the information you have at this moment. And then don't second guess yourself and don't look back because you didn't know what you might know today, five minutes ago, five days ago, five years ago. And I think I see so many people really beat themselves up about feeling like, why didn't I do this? And it's not just with breast cancer, I think in life. So but that's all we can do, right? Like we can, you know, take the time to get the best information, take that extra step, whether it's three second opinions, whatever you need to do, but then make a decision, you know, commit to it. I really love that answer, Jean. And I'd also like to share that I just love that you shared your knitting reference <laughs> because I'm envisioning you <laughs> ripping things out, but you're not looking back. You're just like, that's right. And we're going to do it right forward. And I, I really love that because I think it really encapsulates how I know you certainly as, as a woman. Is there a time in your life where you really needed to stay looking forward because it's what got you through? I think it's really important not to look too forward. So I really believe that's where we get into a really bad trap when you start going, this is going to predict what's going to happen five years from now or whatever, that you have to stay in the present. You know, I'm doing the best I can right now. So for me, it's that practice of right now, I'm doing everything I can. And I have to just keep steady on that and believe that that will lead to a good outcome, it might, it might not. Jean, this has been a tremendous opportunity and pleasure to be in conversation with you on Overexpressed and Out. And thank you for all of the work that you do, not only as the CEO of Living Beyond Breast Cancer, but as a friend and as a mother and as, you know, as a colleague to others and to a connect, as a connector, you know, as a pickleball star, (laughs) as a knitter, deep, deep gratitude for all that you are and all that you have done for um, the breast cancer community. It is, and for me personally and my family. So um, now I'm about to cry. So thank you. So thank you for being here today. But I just want to say that for me, it's you, the two of you and everyone else that really inspire me. I am inspired by all of you that every day have to have to live with this diagnosis and figure out how to live with it. You know, for me, I'm still on the other side. So and that's what gives me meaning. I certainly am so grateful, Jean, that we've had this interview with you and to have you in my life. Like Jenny, I feel very blessed that I have you as an advocate and you're teaching me to be an advocate. It has not been an easy journey, but it has certainly been easier because of you. Stay tuned for the next episode. We will discuss how we cultivate grace for our bodies 
and interview Jacinta White, poet, certified coach, director of The Word Project, and the editor of Snapdragon, a journal of art and healing. So for now, stay safe, stay well, find the joy, and we're overexpressed and out. Overexpressed and Out, a podcast, is engineered and produced by Roseanne Liberti and Jenny Burkholder. Special acknowledgments to the incredible talent of Raji Malik for the use of his song, Rejoice, No Crisis, from his newest album, Time of the Glowing. Find this song and others at rajimalik.com, R-A-J-I-M-A-L-I-K.com. Claudia Sessa for her advice, know-how, and patience. The Johns, Ryzen, Napic, and Flack for helping and believing in overexpressed and out. Visual designer and artist Nicole Kurtz for making Jenny and Roseanne into a logo. Find her at NicoleKurtz.com. And to all of you for listening, reach out and share your stories, thoughts, and reflections at overexpressedandout at gmail.com. 